How's it, everybody? Welcome back for our season finale. You're here with me, Nick, and I'm joined by my back-to-back World Cup winning buddy, Ronald, over there. Ronnie, how are you? I'm a little bit sick, but I'm back-to-back champion, so I feel great. Nonetheless, we're, we're still those obnoxious South Africans, and we're going to be for the next four years, unfortunately, guys. We've got to celebrate what the boys achieved over there in France. And if New Zealand doesn't win the next World Cup, we're going to be obnoxious still for the next four years. You know, greatest World Cup team of all time. Yeah. 50% of all World Cups we've played, we've won. I love it. ridiculous, actually, if you think about that. One and two. If you're a Sunbringbok fan, you've had a great strike rate over the last 20-something years. 28, yeah. Look at me getting the math right on that one, eh, Ronald? This is a 28. It's because I'm sick. That's why I can't think. Yeah, I had to to get you man down so that I could outmath you for a change. Yeah, whatever. Okay. So first week under the belt as champions, the Springbok boys, they must be suffering the biggest hangovers ever now. I mean, they came yeah. from France, they flew, then they had the big soiree at the airport, then they had the soiree at MTN, and then it's been the champions tour all around the country. Those guys must be feeling it, eh? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think I saw a video of somebody asking France Malherbe, looking forward to Durban and and very unconvincingly, he just said, yeah. So I can imagine those guys are cut full. They are genuinely, they just want to go and put their feet up. Oh, they are ready for some time on the beach with some beers and just to relax and unwind a bit. Because, I mean, they have. They've been, they left South Africa even before the World Cup to play Wales and New Zealand. Then it was the eight weeks of the World Cup plus this now. I think they've, they've earned that break. But, I mean, watching them on this tour, Ronnie, how funny has it been to see Damien Willems is still in his kit from the final Jason Colby still rocking all the strapping that he wore in the final. It's been a good, a good thing to see, eh? And I don't, I, I don't actually think that that's Jason's strapping from the final. I think that's his strapping from like the 18th of October or something like that <laughs> when they went to the quarterfinals. That's possible, man. I mean, I remember when we were in school and we were playing rugby when they used to have to take that strapping off. It bloody hurts. If you can leave it on, leave it on. You went to one of those weak schools where it hurt. Actually, I just played rugby in university, you know, and there we were more focused on the brandy than anything else. The strapping made us look cool. And Cheslin giving away his medal, bringing back some Sonny Bill William vibes there. That was quite special of him to do. I think that was at the MTN uh, leg of the celebrations. What did you think of that, Ronnie? Would you give away your medal? No, I wouldn't give away my medal. I'm sorry, I'm too selfish. But I mean, I suppose if you've won it once already and, you know, you've got all the pictures to prove it anyways. Yeah, we can give it away by all means, but too selfish. I'm not a good person like 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 Cheslin. Yeah, I also would definitely what would you do something like that away. Hey, it, I, I definitely exactly. Would. I you know for the many years after that, if someone came to my house, I'd be like, yeah, just come to my bar real quick and have a look at that. That's that's my medal. I want it. <laughs> Make it I the would. doorbell that they have to ring every time. Like. <laughs> Exactly. Gotta tell everyone about that medal. But cheers to Chesey for that one, inspiring the next generation. You know, that's always a good one. And then Ronnie Fuff Speedo. I mean, that thing has to be one of the most iconic things of Springbok rugby now. First, it was him with Prince Harry in the Speedo in Japan. Now it was him and Roger Federer in the Speedo. And now he's rocking it everywhere. And I've seen guys turning up at this victory parade all with blonde wigs on and their Speedos as well. Yeah. No, I don't know how he, how he decided that that's, a, that's the way to go. So, I mean, it's one, one thing to do for a couple of hours in the change room, but to go days on end with this bloody speedo on, <laughs> surely, surely not. It can't be that comfortable. I would be, I would feel so. Yeah, I suppose if, you, if you're a World Cup winner, 
who, who cares? However you choose to celebrate, we got to get behind that, hey? And then I just saw on, on our socials, there was quite a number of people complaining, you know, that Sia was missing from a portion of the tour. Faf was missing from a portion of the tour. For those listening, if you were at those ones, Sia was only missing because he had his brother's wedding to attend. Uh, Faf was missing because he had to attend a funeral. So it's not that the boys didn't want to be there. They just had other obligations that they needed to attend. Remember, they're still people. And then obviously news coming through that Marvin already stayed behind in France to help his side. They're really struggling. They're almost getting relegated from the top 14. So he decided to immediately go and join them to help out. So big props to Marvin for that as well. I think showing some great character. Yeah, absolutely. That's it's quite something to not go and celebrate the actual win, but rather to get back down to, to business. Yeah, absolutely. Ronnie, what do you make of that lady in East London trying to lunge CIA, pulling in for the kill there? It's a bit ridiculous. It's not a bit ridiculous. It's very ridiculous, right? I mean, I get it that fans are very excited, happy, and I probably also want to kiss CIA if he came walking past me. But, you know, you're not going to actually lunge at the person like that. I mean, it could be anyone. You could, uh, there could be an attacker trying to, trying to violently attack you and lunges at you like that. You've got to defend yourself. I saw CIA in his face didn't look happy. And yeah. if it was me, I probably would have tried the headbutt or something. Because, you know, you never know what's happening. <laughs> yeah, I know. Absolutely. At least they intervened quickly enough to sort that situation out. But I mean, the mood back here in SA, Ronnie, has been unreal. I mean, when I got to the airport, the security guards saw my Bok jersey. They were, they were chanting. Legitimately, it's all anyone's talking about back home. So very, very great for South Africa. But I think my favorite moment of this whole thing was the Cape Town leg of this victory tour. Uh, the mayor of Cape Town, Gordon Hill Lewis. Goes up to Bongiam Bonambi and presents him with a very cheeky Venkant. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was quite cheeky, actually. I, and, you know, it was one thing for them to give a shit, but for the mayor actually to do it, I thought a little bit cheeky. It was like, definitely yeah, a bit slide. cheeky, but sorry, Tom Curry, my boy, you have really started something back home here now. There's no doubt about it. And the problem is that that's going to, he did that in good faith, right? But that's going to follow him around forever. Whenever he's playing against the Springboks, people are going to just bring up that, that story again and get into his head, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be a thing like when Quade Cooper used to go play in New Zealand. If England come here, it's, it's going to be tough for Tom Curry with that crowd, eh? Yeah. Ronnie, should we quickly hop over and take a look at some of the stats of this Rugby World Cup? Because it's being touted as probably the best tournament to date. Obviously, because the Springboks won, we can't refute that. Uh, but <laughs> but everyone's always going to say that, right? They always, this is the best World Cup we've ever had, right? And, 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 and I suppose rightly so. But yeah, I think. And look, it was the greatest World Cup ever. I think the only thing missing from this World Cup for me was the World in Union a song that we've come to relate to the World Cup quite a lot, and then the anthems. Those are the two things I would have changed about the tournament. The rest, I was happy. Yeah, and the expensive beer prices. The expensive beer prices, yeah. Well, I suppose that also depends on if you're converting it back to rands or not. <laughs> so, top point scorer for the tournament. Surprisingly, Owen Farrell. He missed the first few games because he was serving his ban, a tackle school graduate, 75 points. 12 conversions, 15 penalties, and two drop goals to his name. So well done from Owen on that yeah. one. Just just behind him, Tomas Ramos on 74, which I think is quite a statement considering he bowed out in the quarterfinal stage of the tournament. So yeah, well done, Owen. You secured that record for yourself. You make a very good point there, right? So it's, it's points scored, but you have to look at the number of games these players have played. So would it be nice if they had a points rate? Because like you say, Thomas bowed out in the quarters. Uh, England had a whole extra game and only beat 
Thomas by one point. But regardless, 75 points, very respectable. Absolutely. Most tries, most tries, Will Jordan. So he tied that record. And we were a little bit nervous going into that final, thinking that he was going to overtake uh, the, the was it the three-way held record between Brian, Julian Sevilla, and and Jonah Lomu. So now it's a four-way, four-way uh, tie. Yeah, so like you say, I mean, Will getting the eighth try. Quacha, we had him to stop it. But Bowden Barrett scoring the first ever try against the Springboks in a final as well. Thank goodness it wasn't Will. And then is it the first player to have scored two tries in two World Cup finals? Was that so? I didn't even realize that. Then Ronnie, that's, that's one of the stats. And we take a look at the World Player of the Year, Ardi Sevilla. He notched up the most runs at this World Cup with 82. That's an immense number and shows his work rate is very, very impressive. Closest to him, and I think someone that was very recognized for his running game at this World Cup is Bundi Aki. He was on 81, so only one off and again with two less games. And Bowden Barrett then with 72, which is quite a way off, 10 behind Adi. So Adi probably deserving of Player of the Year showing that workload, hey? Absolutely. Conversions. Interesting for me on the conversions list, well, we'll go with first place is Thomas Ramos. So he's got 21 conversions throughout the tournament. So he was definitely their primary kicker throughout the tournament, considering they went out in the quarters and he still uh, kicked, kicked the number one himself to number one on that list. But uh, in second place, so yeah, Thomas Ramos on 21, Richie Moonga on 18. So that was second. And Johnny Sexton, 17 and third, and Damon McKenzie in fourth place at 14. So the reason I went down to fourth there was just pointing out that both Damien McKenzie and Richie Moonga are on that list. Damien didn't feature as much, though, but still managed to get 14 conversions. You know, I think when you look at that, you see as well the pool that they were in and the big scores they managed to notch up against Namibia, against Romania, against Italy, and guys really getting a run there, whereas Ramos started most of those games. The French didn't really rotate their team as much as the All Blacks did. So that's actually a very... A very telling point that you make there, uh, because of the top five, all but one are from Pool A. There we go. It's only Johnny Sexton, not from Pool A. Then over to offloads, and I think it shows the game that they were playing. The top offloader in the competition was Celesi Pietau. He's from Tonga. He managed to notch up 10, and he's actually tied with Antoine Dupont. So that's quite an impressive stat to have racked up. And then we've got Adi Sevier just behind them on nines. Very, very well done from them, showing some enterprise with ball in hand. Yeah, absolutely. So I wouldn't say there's something that's really noteworthy coming out of here, other than the fact that Celesi and Antoine both from 10, 10 offloads throughout the tournament. And considering both of them bowed out in the quarters, and I suppose Tonga even a match earlier, that's impressive work. For sure. Not a single South African on that list, actually, which shows we played a very different game, even with Archias Neyman and his Proclivity for for the offload. No, we'll, we'll get to that. So when you look at the tackle stats, right? So you've uh, this is the first time that we've got South Africans featuring in the top five, right? So the tackles, uh, the number one tackler goes to Marcus Kramer, which we can both agree with had an immense game, and you know he was fantastic for Argentina. But then you've got so he was on ninety two tackles over the tournament. Ben Earl on eighty, and Franco Mostert on seventy three. Lack of Sione Talatui on 67, and then Peter Steph Dutoy on 66. So there at least you get two South Africans featuring in the top five, and that's the only time that you see South Africans featuring in the top five. I think 60 of those 66 tackles from Peter Steph Dutoy was on one of the three Barretts in the final. <laughs> then, Ronnie, over to clean breaks. 
Damian Penault, I think he's the obvious one. He got 13. He was electric at this World Cup. Really a player that I, I thoroughly enjoy watching. Just behind him, Will Jordan. And then Louis Bialbieri, also very impressive. And Bundy Aki coming in at fourth. So had those guys played longer in the competition, I think we would have seen some, some higher stats from them. Ronnie, maybe we should then take a hop over and take a look at some of the team stats from this tournament. Maybe let's look first at points scored. New Zealand, most points scored in this World Cup. And let's remember they ratched up some big pool victories. 336 points. Closest to them was also in Pool A, France on 238. Almost 100 points less than the Kiwis managed to score. We do feature here in fifth place with 208 points. I think that's largely due to our heart attack inducing one point wins in the quarters, semi and final. Yeah, you're absolutely right for that. We take it right to the edge. But fair enough. New Zealand, that's an impressive, impressive tally. Yeah. Let's just make a point of this, right? We have to ask something here because Ian Foster made a comment of the thrubbing over Italy, 1996 points or whatever. Is that really what fans want to watch or do they want to watch the one point contests? I don't know. Yeah. No, well, I think we have our views on that, eh? Yeah. When it comes to tries as well, uh, so New Zealand dominate this. It's obviously, it leads off the, the total number of points that, as also, you've got New Zealand on 49 points and they are way in the lead, you know. They're almost, uh, what's that, 29? I've just got to do the math here real quick. No, 19 more than second place, which is Ireland on 30. So, yeah, South Africa features in fourth, but, uh, yeah, New Zealand, you know, definitely out front there. Yeah, that shows, there again, the attacking play that New Zealand like to, to take on. But what can you say, hey? 27 tries for the Springboks, but we have a fourth World Cup title. Go over. <laughs> yeah, tackles win matches. <laughs> yeah. So, well, let's then go over to the tackle stats because this is the one area that we really dominate in. So we come in as South Africa with 972 tackles, the most made at this World Cup, showing our attritional defense. The next closest is England on 869 with more than 100 off of what we, we did in the tournament. And also remember, we rotated our squad pretty well. So we knew we were going to tackle yes. it. And we needed to make sure the players were workload was well managed. England playing a similar game plan to us, albeit maybe a little bit more boring, getting a high tackle stat there as well. New Zealand in third, Wales in fourth, and Los Pumas in fifth place. Yeah, and then I suppose clean breaks, another another quite something that's quite telling. We've got 88 for New Zealand. So New Zealand dominating clean breaks as well. And they love to attack. And I suppose this is a lot of turnover ball as well one or two phases, and then they hit that line really hard. So 88, and, and then again, considerably out in front uh, when compared to second place, which is France on 55, Scotland 45, Argentina 44, and Ireland also on 44. I find it quite interesting that Scotland is so high on that in third place with 45 because they were in our pool. So it shows that they really were playing well with Finn and Huey Pilatu sent in Russell, but unfortunately right. not managing to finish those opportunities off. You know, our scramble defense shutting them down, Ireland shutting them down. But yeah, Scotland and up there, they just need to learn to finish those opportunities. And up there, considering they didn't make it out of the pool. So yeah. imagine they had made it out of the pool. They would be right up there with New Zealand, I suppose. Yeah, and I mean, also credit to their wings. Darcy Graham, Duan van der Merwe, they they were hugely influential in that regard as well. So, Ronnie, interesting stats coming out of that World Cup, but the only one that matters, and I don't think we've mentioned it in the last two episodes, is that we are back-to-back -back champions. 
And the Bulls lost. Um, yeah, the Bulls did lose to the Griffins. I'm not sure if you heard about that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. So I don't know. I'm not sure if you can count this high, but we've actually got one, two, three, four world titles. How many was that again? One, two, three, four. Two, three, four. four. Yeah. Out of yeah, eight. Four. 50%. <laughs> four yeah. out of eight. Suddenly well I can do math. That's so. a pass. <laughs> that is a pass, Ronnie. Can you bloody believe it? Honestly, so great being a South African. Now, we may not have electricity, but we have four World Cup titles. So is load shedding still happening back home? Yeah, but I unfortunately seem to be missing from the grid at the moment. So I'm not complaining. Escom, please don't listen to this podcast. You shouldn't have said that. Now they've heard you. You're on the interweb. They're going to turn off your electricity tonight. Yeah. So, Ronnie, it's been a little bit in the background, something no one's really paid attention to yet. But the URC is actually underway. The South African teams are mostly on tour overseas at the moment. So let's just take a quick look at those results. And then, guys that are, are listening, we're going to jump over to what's next for the Springboks the next four years. And we'll have a if you're a If you're a Shark supporter, you might as well jump ahead to that now. Yeah, <laughs> skip ahead about three minutes. <laughs> so Friday night, there were two games. We had Glasgow Warriors beating the Stormers 20 points to nine. Dobson quite upset with the, the discipline of the Stormers. Ivan Riss suffering another brain fart in that one giving away some poor discipline again and causing the Stormers to concede some points. Sharks, unfortunately, then going down 19-5 to the Ospreys, also away. Tough outing for the South Africans. Remember, though, that their boys are busy dropping beer on a bus, celebrating their fourth title. Then Zebra playing the Bulls. Zebra went down 29-54 to against the Bulls. So the Bulls at least pulling the South African flag through then in that one. Leinster, Leinster surprisingly struggling at the moment in the URC, which is shocking considering they've had their players back for like three or four weeks already. <laughs> uh, 36-27 victory over Edinburgh. Scarlets getting a 31-25 point victory over Cardiff at home. Munster, 45-14 over the Dragons. Munster still missing the likes of Jean Klein and Archer Snowman. Rounding off Saturday's rugby, Connacht with a narrow 22-20 point victory over Ulster. Unfortunately, I didn't call that win correctly. I thought Connacht was going to edge that one. Sorry, Ulster was going to edge that one. And then lastly, Sunday, very disappointing from the Lions. They went down to Benetton, handing Benetton their first win, 15 points to 10 over the Joburg base side. Ronnie, have you watched any URC yet? You know, I'm not going to lie and say I have watched a bit of the highlights for sure, but I'm just a little bit grateful that the World Cup is perhaps over now and I need some time to rest. Yeah, I think we both agree on that. We did a lot of work through this World Cup covering it. So it's it's time for a little bit of a break. Ronnie, let's just take a look then at Russia Erasmus and the next four years of Springbok Rugby, what we can expect just to air our thoughts a little bit. But let's start off with the greatest news ever. Russia Erasmus points himself as the Bok coach. I mean, what more could you want? You know, what more could you want is for Shogby now, but to stay exactly where he was because they made such a good team. But, but yeah, look, Rassi, going back to where he's been before, I suspect, and, and I'm not, you know, it's actually when you speculate around Rassi, you're actually just shooting in the dark because you never really know what the guy's got planned. Uh, I actually just believe that it's a bit of a temporary position he's filled with for the next couple of months because our next game is, what, only in eight months or seven months oh, or something. July. They've got some time. Yeah, exactly. So they, they, there's no rush, really to find another permanent box coach and for the time being Rassi will will fill that will fill that space. 
But yeah, I don't really. It's fine as long as Rusty's still in the mix somewhere. It has gone over to take the job in England. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we want Rusty here. I think that Springbok coaching unit is pretty tight. Obviously, there's going to be a few vacancies that need to be filled. As far as I'm aware, it's two coaches leaving Felix and Jacques. So there'll be some vacancies there. But Rusty says, you know, his immediate concern is depth at both lock and at hooker. You know, Bongi and Bonambi is about 32 now. So him making another four-year cycle, not likely. Obviously, he will still be available next year and probably the year after. Malcolm Mark's definitely going to remain in that cycle should he be fit. Locks, you know, the guys will all be in their, their mid to late 30s by the time the next World Cup comes. Yebin's such an athlete, he'll probably make it, but you might not see the likes of Sos, Lurt, Archia, jean Klein. one of them or two of them might fall away. You know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how we build depth. Look, they did a great job in the last four years, and this time they're going to have the benefit of no COVID lockdown to scupper the four-year plan. Don't I'm jinx it. Don't jinx it, touch wood. But yeah, I'm keen to see what they come up with there. Ronnie, let's just talk about the big thing, is the captaincy of the spring box. So Sia's off to France. Sia's definitely going to captain the box at least for next year, I would imagine. But we definitely need some succession planning because I don't really see Sia making another four-year cycle with a competition that we have in the loose forwards. He would be about 37 for the next World Cup. I can't believe that you, you don't believe in, in, in Sia making it four years. When four years ago, I told you there's no way that Dwayne Vermeulen was going to make it another World Cup and you told me, just relax, buddy, he's going to be there. It's true. But I mean, if you look at where Sia is going to play as rugby is in the French top 14, which is the longest competition that runs in rugby. So his workload's going to be pretty high. He hasn't chosen to go to Japan where there's less games, you know, where he can manage his body, where most of the Springbok guys do ply their trade. So look, I'll be exceedingly happy if Sia is there, but I do think you also need to use the opportunity to bring in some more leaders. We saw it with Bongi. I think probably Lukanya might get a look in. Yeah, Lukanya has been a captain before once or twice, and but you're absolutely right. Maybe maybe a new young captain, right, under the leadership of, under the guidance of some of our senior players like Sia. Yeah, no, for sure. Because I mean, you can you never know what injuries are going to come. And I think they will have learned from this last cycle. You know, we almost didn't have Andre for the World Cup. And it was almost tragedy because Marnie hadn't had the necessary game time to build up that BMT and confidence that he needed. Players, I just listed a few here, Ronnie, that I think we're going to see come into the fold now. One that I would like to see is Tyron Green from Harlequins, the fullback. I think he's yeah. very talented. You only say that after the try he scored this weekend. Oh, what a try that was, hey? What a try. That's very impressive. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Whoever whoever you guys are, go and find it on YouTube. It's an incredible try. Yeah, absolutely, Ronnie's right on that one. Sasha Feinberg and Gomazulu, he was someone that was in the Springbok fold last year and not getting game time, but someone that's very talented looking forward. Ivan Roos, you know, in the setup, not making the World Cup cut. Alruch Lowe, also another loose forward that, that was unlucky not to be there. Then a player I liked at the Cheetahs, he hasn't really nailed down a spot at the Sharks yet, is Sio Masuku, a fly half. We have Johan Krobala, the hooker from the Bulls. We have big JJ van der Mescht at Lock. He's currently in France at Stade Francais. Henku van Veik, who we've had on this show, you guys can check out that interview if you go back in our episodes. He's a real hard-hitting center, so it would be great to see him get an opportunity. Other fly halves as well, Jordan Hendricks, Gianni Lombard, both under the tutelage of Mornier Stein at the Lions at the moment could become huge kicking threats. And in the front row, someone like Ntutukum Chunu, you know, there's a lot of names that can come through and we still don't know who will debut in the next four years. 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. All of those players, uh, you know, interestingly, interesting in uh, all their own ways. JJ from the match, especially. I'm, I'm a big fan of him, but we'll see what happens. Now the big question, Ronnie. We need a new defense coach. And you've got the obvious guys like Swayze, Johan Ackermann, Bafana and Kleku from the under-20s. But you mentioned it just now. Trying to guess what Rassi's doing is shooting in the dark. What are the chances Eddie Jones is coming to be our defense coach? I didn't think of that, but that would be, that would be something. I personally believe it's Dwayne Vermeulen. That's as simple as that. Yeah. yeah, that is a bold call. You heard it here first, guys. Ronnie, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> Dwayne Vermeulen. Yeah. Yes, yeah, hey. Yeah. That, you know what? I'm all in. Let's go for Big Thor. <laughs> I'm, I'm all behind that. I think what the guys deserve and what we've done for the first time in a long time is keep this continuity in the coaching. You know, we're bringing coaches through. We're not just doing player succession planning. It's coaching succession planning. And we're not appointing guys from the outside. We're trying to keep this good team culture that's been built. So I'm really happy to see Rassi is staying, even if it's just a caretaker role for the moment and someone gets promoted in a year or two or whatever. But that team environment has become so crucial to our success that I really want to see it continued. Couldn't agree more. I I think it's quite shocking, actually, that that Russ has stepped in as as coach because I genuinely thought Mzondi Lestik was being lined up and primed to be to be the coach. He's been in the mix now for two cycles, two but more. But yeah, look, I think continuity is very important. Rassi sees it like that, so if he can if he can step in there as a caretaker, make sure to get so that there's nobody's doing anything rash and in a rush. And then I think that should be fine. Good for the team. Some stability. Yeah. And then just lastly on the Springboks, some very sad news coming in today is that Archias Neyman has suffered a chest injury in the World Cup final and he's about to undergo surgery here in South Africa. I really hope that's not him kicking off another torrid four-year cycle like he had, you know, last, last time he played in Japan and then he got maybe 200, 300 minutes only in the last four years. Look, if he's going to win us another World Cup, all means he can be as injured as he wants to. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's that's true. But yeah, shame. Get well soon, Akia. We need you back up and running, Viking. Ronnie, should we hop over to a bit of the news then in the rugby world that's going around? So let's maybe start with Eddie Jones's loss against Wales. He continues to rack them up, going down 49-26 as coach of the Barbarians. Yeah, look, it's always difficult to win with Barbarians. It's just it's, it's a Barbarians team, right? That's that's the nature of it. You just come together, have one quick practice, and then you're supposed to go and play test match. But yeah, I think what's what's more important is that he's he's actually now officially cut ties with Rugby Australia. He has, and after his comments on Michael Hooper, he selected Michael Hooper for the Barbarians. Yeah, which was an interesting selection for me. I don't know how you you can make comments like that against a player and then get him back in but credit to hoops for you know manning up joining the team and proving a point you know we spoke about that on a quick chat on whatsapp but you know hooper must have really wanted to be a barbarian to put you know his differences with eddie jones aside and and actually go in and and play for that team maybe he thought he was going to get the chance to bump eddie in practice (laughs) imagine yeah and then a player that i've loved over the years especially when the lions toured here was Lee Halfpenny. He's now retired from Wales, leaving the URC and off to join the Crusaders for Super Rugby. I think that's a pretty epic signing. I couldn't agree more. I just saw that. I thought, wow, okay, that's, 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 a, that's a brilliant signing, right? 
he's going to go have his, his last couple of years in New Zealand for possibly the top team in the world, right? We could You could argue that the Crusaders are the top domestic team in the world. Yeah, definitely. So it's going to be very interesting to see how he goes there. He has had his struggles with injuries in the past, but I think he's got a lot to contribute, especially to a Crusaders team that's lost a lot of top-class players, has a new coaching setup with Razor moving on to the All Blacks. It'll be interesting to see if they can defend their titles again. There's now also a U-turn and from Dane Coles. He was retiring from rugby, but a gap has opened up in Japan due to the injury to Malcolm Marks. He's going to be out for the full Japanese season, so Dane Coles will be taking up a medical joker role there in Japan. The injury might actually prolong Marks' career in the long run. You know, a year out of the game, um, some rest for the body, and then returning to the Japanese league, which is less attritional, really could prolong his career. And I do expect him, I think he's 29 now, expect him to to make the next four-year cycle for the box. And with the form he was in prior to injury, I mean, can't wait to see him back out on the pitch, eh? Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right. So a lot of players' careers have been extended a little bit by COVID, but the odd injury or two, like you say, as long as they don't come back and be injury-prone, iffy, we're then, back to uh, that. we'll be all right to them. <laughs> you haven't heard of your, your injury-prone, iffy scale for quite a while, right? You put that on the back burner. Yeah, well, the iffy players seem to step up, eh? So Pollard stepped it up. Peter Steftatoy stepped it up. Yeah. Did you actually, that now that you mentioned Peter Steftatoy, did you realize that his dad donated him a ligament so that he could play again? That said, you know what, you needed more. Nice, yeah. 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 Can you believe it? Yeah, that's bloody impressive. Then one of the greatest refs out there, Wayne Barnes, he's barred out. He's retiring from the game. And I hope it's not due to the threats that he received after the final. But I hope he's going out, you know, satisfied with where he was in his career. And I actually saw a suggestion on our page, which I think is quite good. And maybe Barnsey and Nigel Owen should be appointed as a review panel for how the game is currently officiated and the role of the TMO. Because as Hansen said, you know, the game is being refereed in replay. And that's not great for the fans watching it. You know, the TMO should be there when called upon to assess the tries and and certain things. But not to actually intervene in the game when not called upon. What do you think of that, Ronald? I think as rugby fans, we're very fickle. We want the best of both, but we don't. We, you know, we we just want, in case of the TMO doesn't intervene and the ref misses something and we're all up in arms and say, we have the technology, why don't we use it? That's That's what happens, you know? So we have the technology. We have the TMO, let's use it. If the TMO sees something that is outright and wrong, the TMO must speak up. So simple as that. Yeah, to all the listeners, if you're in shock like me, Ronnie is finally the voice of reason. Can you believe it, eh? Don't be a moron. Then we saw Apiwa Dianti get his first start for the Sharks this weekend. That's his first start since his ban in, I think, 2018 is when it kicked off. So he's been out of the game for four years. So good to see him back. And let's see what he can produce now, given a second chance. No, right. Let's let's not squander it. Yeah, no, for sure. Not everyone gets that second chance. Then the Wallabies job is currently one that's up for grabs as well as Scotland and Fiji. It'll be interesting to see where guys end up. But I see Dan McKellar, Stephen Larkin are being lined up for the Aussie job with an outsider, Ian Foster, Fuzzy being lined up as mm. the Wallabies coach. What do you think it would take to get Fuzzy over to the Wallabies? I mean, the lure of a British and Irish Lions tour and a home World Cup, great for any coach. Written approval from every All Black that there ever was. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't. I mean, look how upset they were with Hanson spending one week in the Wallabies camp. 
Yeah, I don't know about being upset, but what they did say is, you know, they were surprised, right? Because if you become an all-black coach, you know, it's such an honor. You don't ever want to coach another team, right? And and I think a lot of them still see it that way. So I'd be surprised if Ian Foster goes for it. I'm, I'm surprised that Michael Checker, by the way, on a different note, is, is not in the running. Yeah, I think he's got a strained relationship. I see Robbie Dean's also saying absolutely no, he's not going back to the Wallabies. Checker is leaving Los Pumas. So it'll be interesting in the coming months to see who ends up where. I'll be writing a couple of articles on this so you guys can check that out on our website and making a couple of predictions. Ronnie, lastly, today Sam Kane received a three-week ban for his tackle on Sia Kulisi. It'll be reduced to two if he attends the tackle school, which I'm sure he would. Not that I'm convinced tackle school really helps because our PhD Owen Farrell still isn't too too solid on the hit today. Yeah, I it's look kicking a man while he's down, right? He's just, he, he sat out for 80% of the World Cup final and now he's getting banned as well. And, and the first time that ban's going to kick in is in eight months from now. So yeah, shame. Feel sorry yeah. for that. Like. Yeah, no, I think missing out on the final and watching your team lose by one point is, is quite a bit of punishment to undergo already. But yeah, guys, that brings us to the end of an episode and to the end of season three of the Rugby Punted podcast. It has been epic. We have crossed more than 1.3 million downloads of the show, which we have all of you guys to thank. It's really, really special. We appreciate every single one of you tuning in. Don't forget to join our Super Brew Pools for the URC. That's on the moment. And yeah, come and help me beat Ronnie there. And that's a wrap, guys. And Bills, if you enjoyed this episode and didn't mind our terrible puns, please do us a solid and smash that like button. Remember, subscribing to our podcast may not make you a better rugby player but it will make you more knowledgeable around the bry while screaming at the TV. We might not have the biceps of a prop or the speed of a winger, but we've got enough rugby banter to keep you entertained for the entire season. Grab it all, light the bry, and we'll catch you back here next Wednesday. Mm-hmm.